Blog Talk Radio. To the Donaldson Files, it's Tom Donaldson, Coco Konsky. We're here, and uh, uh, tonight we're just going to kind of review everything we missed, plus kind of get caught up with our own lives. And then tomorrow night, it's going to be a mental health special with Coco and Cece Harrison is going to be joining us. And we may, who knows, we may even have a gu- another guest or two as well. So, and for those people who didn't know, Cece Harrison's got her own show called Wild Heart. I'm part of this network. Uh, so it'll be good to have her on the show. Um, and so I am Tom Dawson. I am the chairman of America's PAC, and I'm also the research associate and project director for America's Majority Foundation, the author of eight great books, including The Rise of National Populism and Democratic Socialism. And as it is, I'll start after the new year on the sequel to that book. They all, you know, They're not all quite bestsellers, but they all should be. And Coco, we have a little issue here. I don't know what, uh, because we were on the phone just a while back, and uh, but uh, she'll be calling right back in. But like I said, we're going to have a, you know, like I said, we're going to kind of follow up on a, a quite a few things that's been happening. Uh, we got the Georgia elections uh, coming up. We have. Uh, Uh, we got okay, all kinds of things happening, and let me see. Okay, Coco, did you make it? Yes. Hello. Hello. Yeah. What? God. What happened there? I, I have no <laughs> idea. Um, well, I'm going to introduce myself, you guys. You guys have listened to the show for a while. You know who I am. But for those of you who do not, I am a writer. Um, I write for Medium. I write for many other things, and I'm currently working on a book myself. And yeah, pretty much me. Cool, cool. Well, you know, like I said, we got, like I say, so much going on. But I mean, to get caught up, I do a couple of quick things here. Next week, I'm going to be out of town on business. So I won't, you know, so Coco will be running the show. And then I will I'll be running have the a, show Tuesday. And then I, on December the 8th, I'll have a surgical procedure. So I'll be probably out of it. So I won't be the, that particular show as well. Right. Um, you know, so we're so next couple of Tuesdays will probably be not you won't be seeing hearing from me. Being that it's pod, radio podcast, you can't see me, but obviously. <laughs> but today was my birthday. Number eight. This is number sixty-seven. It is your birthday. Yeah. So how do you feel? <laughs> you know, I tell you the truth. I don't feel old at all. I mean, it's like swam a mile today, which I've been doing. Yeah. I I was busy. I spent most of the day working, and so it's kind of like, uh, uh, so, I mean, it was that. So, I mean, I really, it's like in the day, and then tonight what we're going to do is uh, we're going to have, uh, we're going to order out uh, from Outback. Right. And nice, have a gla- nice. And have, 
and, and, and have bottles of wine, and then I guess let, let, uh, then me, we'll let, let me add something to you. If you go to Outback, I had a horrible experience there. Um, I got food poisoning twice from there. Oh. Um, so if you order, you're like, yeah, I, I, I just remember last time I was there, I had, uh, obviously, this was like way before COVID. And my friend and I ordered basically the same thing. And literally, uh, let's just say we didn't make it to the car. <laughs> it was well, crazy. The question. What did you eat? What did you eat? Uh, I, ha- I had a steak. Steak. That's all I had. A steak and a salad. And yeah. I, I just so remember vomiting. I, I don't know. Salad. I don't yeah. know. But I will say, I want to talk about really quick. Um, so I went on a hike today. Uh, my best friend moved back from Arizona. He was in quarantine because of COVID for nine months. This is a friend who I, I used to live with. Um, when we started the show, I was living with him. Um, you know, we would see each other every day for the last eight years. And around March or April, um, he was supposed to come back April, and he got he got stuck. He was in Arizona, and he got stuck there. He couldn't leave. And yeah. um, so he came back about a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago he came back. And so now it's like, it's as, it's as if he never left. It's really funny because it's like one of those friendships yeah. where, like, I, I could see him, like, whenever. Anyways, we decided to go uh, on a hike today, and that was a lot of fun. I had an adventure. I almost lost my AirPod. Um, I kept them. And I, you know what's really funny about this? I literally had this premonition, Tom, that I was going to lose them. Like, the minute I oh. walked out the door – the minute I walked the door, I'm like, I know something's going to happen. And so we're reaching halfway up the mountain, and, like, I would reach in my pocket, and only one of them was in it. So we literally had to go back down the mountain and retrace our entire steps. I found it. I am shocked that I found it. But then again, who the hell is going to steal one AirPod? I don't understand that. But the whole hmm. point of the story is that we decided to go grab some coffee. And, you know, I don't like going out to eat. I do not like doing that. Um, but – I did it this one time, and the way they had set it up, I literally think every – if you're going to do – if you're one of those people that have to go out or whatever, um, you know, obviously wear your mask. Like, I, I, yeah, just wear your mask. <laughs> but um, the restaurant we go to is this French – it's a French bistro. It's, like, one of my ultimate favorite places. It's a bit pricey, yeah. but it's so worth it. Like, I paid $18 for an omelet today. And it was, like, the best food in the world. Now, they do outdoor seating, obviously. There's no – no one is allowed inside unless you have to go to the bathroom. And if you have to go inside, like, you have to wear your mask at all times, which, like, I love. Yeah. But what I found really interesting is how they set it up, how they set the table. So there's about seven or eight tables outside, maybe more. Um, they're, they're all, all the tables are spaced out eight feet. So, you know, you're not, if you're sitting next to somebody, you're going to be eight feet away from them, which again, I love. Yeah. And not only that, they have these plexiglasses, uh, dividers hmm. between each table, between each table, yeah. there's a huge plexiglass, um, you know, and it's really nice. <laughs> You know, for you know, it's it's like I don't have a sense of normalcy right now, so it kind of gave yeah. me like, oh, going out again to like just grab some coffee or, or breakfast or whatever. But it gave me some type of normalcy with the plexiglass, you know, and like 
You know, the waiters, yeah. like, they, you, 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 they, they place your food down. You don't give it to them, you know. But if you want if your water, like, you hold your glass up for them because they can't touch it. Yeah. So I actually felt really safe doing that. So, you know, if I do that once a week, like, it is what it is. But um, I really like how they set it up. And when I went to the bathroom, I had my mask yeah. on. Um, I didn't take my mask on the entire time I was in the bathroom. And, like, literally, like, the, 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 I got this, like, chemical cleaning smell. So, you know they were on top of it because it smelled yeah. like that, that, that lemon dice, like, Lysol spray very yeah. chemically. So, um, I think that's the only place I would ever go out to eat is because they have such high standards when it comes to, like, being safe and clean. Like, they have, like, they'll give you, like, hand sanitizer and like wipes, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I love that. And it was completely outside. And again, like I'm like eight feet away from people, you know? And I was actually yeah. really lucky because we were the only people there this morning. So there was no one near, uh, near us. Yeah. So it was nice to like actually do that and still be aware of what's going on around us, but able to like, you know, kind of relax. And mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think restaurants should be doing this. I, uh, the plexiglass, like they need to do like, it was like a 10 out of 10. Yeah. You know, you, you see the, the waiters, they all have masks, you know? Um, and so I, I really, I really actually enjoyed that. So it was, yeah. it was a very nice kind of treat, I guess. Um, but like yeah, like I, I I'll see restaurants like that are open and it's just like you know there's no sanitation going on. Like you just know, yeah. like where I live in Burbank, like there's there's one restaurant and it's like the tables are so close together. Like I would never go to a place like that personally for yeah. me. If it's so close where like I'm almost touching that person, like I can't do that. I I, yeah. I really can't. So the fact that this place which I've been, I've been going to this place for like 10 years. Like I had an, I had escargot tonight, today at like 10 in the morning. Yeah. Cause it's like my, it's my favorite thing to eat in the world. And you know, they were, they were really, they were really like on top of things. And I think like a lot of restaurants, yeah. if you're going to be doing open or like um, outdoor dining, like you can't just like set tables apart or, or whatever. Like you have to really keep up with the cleanliness of things mm-hmm. and like after yeah. um, and after we were done eating after we were done eating like they came by and they wiped it from top to bottom so to me it felt good to see that otherwise i don't think i would have gone yeah well yeah here's the uh, thing we'll hold on to those thoughts this is tom donaldson coach Rukonsky here on the donaldson files and the bachelor news radio network this is Dr. Larry Pitoa, host of the Dr. Larry Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, inviting you to listen live every Wednesday evening from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. I am called the philosopher of current events an independent, open-minded conservative with my own ideas. If you are interested in advertising or having your own show, email us at labachelor40 at gmail.com. Yes, yeah, so welcome back to the Donaldson Files. And don't forget also, 
Locker Talk with Barry Bonds. Barry's where you can hear about the NFL stars of tomorrow. Today, listen to Barry every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time at blocktalkradio.com slash la-bachelor. And the podcast every day from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with back-to-back episodes at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. If you're interested in having your own show or advertising, email us at labachelor at gmail.com. Listen and stay informed. Don't forget our show is 3 a.m., 10 a.m. every day on thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Uh, please call in if you want to comment on tonight's show or just want to just uh, say we're the greatest thing since sliced bread. That's uh, That, too, is acceptable. Uh, 646-929-0130. 646-929-0130. Call in. Here but on Tom, the Donaldson Files. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't like sliced white bread. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't. I can't eat that. I'm gluten-free. Um, All no, right. Well, I, I, I want to tell you something really funny that I just saw popped up on my Twitter feed. There is a guy right. in New York City who has been dressing up like Pizza Rat. He has a pizza full, rat. full, full, remember Pizza Rat, the, the, pizza, the rat that, that took that big slice of pizza down the stairs in New York City? Yes, Happened yes, a couple yes, years yes. ago. Okay, so there's a guy who's a performer in New York City subway, and he dresses up as a rat, and he has an inflatable pizza that he drags up the stairs. And I got to say, this guy's hilarious. His name is Jonathan Lyons, um, and he's on Twitter. And... Oh my God, Tom! If you see these videos, like, I they got me cracking up. Like this guy literally has a full costume, rat mask, mm-hmm. rat tail, in a little business suit, dragging this like eight foot pizza. I think it's hilarious. Mm. I just gotta say, it it, it was really yeah. really funny. And so he actually made like, um, you know, he he joined Twitter in 2011, and now he's making this huge, uh, hilarious um, character. Yeah. And it's it's kind of creepy. I will say, I hate rats. <laughs> well, I do too. I mean, and if he been to New no, York, no. The funniest uh, thing, uh, the, oh no, and the funniest thing about it is that this guy with the rat mask has a mask over his a mask like an actual mask over his mask. I, ah. I, it, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. Whoever created this, Jonathan Lyons, it is, it is it's just really funny. Mm. Yeah. Well, get back to the story you're talking about. Here's the thing with Iowa. Yeah. You know, us folks in Iowa have common sense because basically, no, but... yeah. You know, no, here's let me, let me tell you. Here's the thing. You know, because you, you, you see these stories with some of these states where you have you know loaded you know bars you know packed to the gill, and the thing that comes into play now because I go to like ever so often I go to Buffalo Wild Wings, and then we have this other right. bar restaurant we go to quite a bit because. We know the uh, manager of the store because he used to work at Buffalo Wild Wings, and now he's the manager of the store. And he just informed me that now that he have the NFL package, so I can watch it over there. Uh, but here's the thing: one of the things they did is they basically told restaurants, "Here's the deal: you got to have every table. You know, clear out the bars. No bars. Nobody sits at the bars. Clear yeah. out the bars, and and basically." You, it's over, in a way, you only can get fifty percent of the people in. Anyway, why do they have it? Because they basically said you have to set X number of tables. You set them aside, um, and, and the way they did it is like nobody sits at the bar. There's no stools at the bar. I mean, and it's like this one thing. I mean, and I never could figure out. You know, this is under the category of this is what you could easily do. 
to relieve a lot of this congestion that that is out there. I mean, there's no excuse to have right. a loaded bar to begin, to begin no, with. And no, if you no, do no, these no, things, no. and if you do these things, you just like I said, it basically comes down to this: if the you know tables are filled, you can't get in. And, you know, well, exactly. And, I agree with that. And, and the funny the funny thing is, though, like there's a restaurant around here, like maybe like a couple miles down, that got into a lot of trouble. Why? Because they were advertising indoor dining on their Facebook. Um, and obviously, like, you know, I'm not going to mention the restaurant, but it's been around for a while. And the owners are just real dicks. <laughs> That's just simply put it that way, you know. Um, and it was, like, shocking. Like, this post was, like, maybe, like, a month ago that they were going to yeah. do this. And then like people started to complain and report them. They eventually got shut down, but I'm like, like, yo, like if you're going to, if you're going to do indoor dining, like why are you publicizing that? I don't understand that. Especially in Los yeah. Angeles. Like you're, you're just like openly, like openly. Um, and, and by the way, this restaurant has no outdoor seating. There's no, I, I've been, yeah. I, I, I've never been inside, but I, I know the area and I know what's outside and everything like that. There's no outdoor seating in this bar. You know, it's yeah. kind of like a biker bar type thing, which is like another mm-hmm. thing I will never go to. But you know, it to me it was just like the stupidity of it, like you advertising on Facebook, and so a bunch of people like in groups that I belong to, like I belong to a Burbank group, I belong to like you know a foodie group, like they just trash this place. And now they're just closed indefinitely. Yeah, I hope. Well, no, here, but, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I say, it's, everything is common sense. Now, speaking of common sense, this is a real story. I'm like thinking to myself, you know, you know, are you kidding me? This is a real story. Somebody actually put this, you know, reported on this. Nuclear war could take a big bite out of the world's seafood. What what do you mean by that? I mean, no, they, they somebody did a study revealed that the damage to nuclear war may take on wild caught seafood around the world, from salmon to tuna to shrimp and shrimp cocktails. Uh, don't mention shrimp to me. Yeah, and also, I'm thinking about if you're I'm thinking myself. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking myself. You know, you have a nuclear war. Somehow or another, this is the last thing I'm going to sit back and think of worst possibilities of happening. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with that. I mean, I'm sorry. (laughs) But but by the way, guys, by the way, I don't know if you guys know this, but so last night I decided to cook kind of like a surf and turf. Like I I cook like once a week. And the shrimp that I got, um, I didn't know this actually, but you should not be getting shrimp that's like in Asia, Thailand, India, like, if you live in the U.S., you guys need to get shrimp that's actually um, farmed in the U.S. Because um, I I did the mistake of the shrimp that I got. I guess it was from India. I didn't really look at the package. Um, I went to, like, Marn Final and got it. And it was, like, and now, like, we all now have upset stomachs. <laughs> so if you yeah. guys are, like, into seafood, you guys got to make sure that it's not coming from, you know, outside the country. You know, yeah. it's very important because that really could really, especially if, if, if you're prone to getting sick or, like, you have a sensitive stomach. Sanitizer dispensing station that is ideal yeah. for indoor, outdoor. Yeah. You well, know? I mean, yeah. yeah. 
Well, I guess, yeah, I mean, like I say, I mean, but remember, ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to seafood, when you have a nuclear war, it's going to be the pits for people who love seafood. Well, it might be for me. I love seafood. Are you kidding? I I love scallops. I I love, I love, I just love, you know what my thing is, is I love exotic things. Like for me, like I love, I love snails. I eat snails like at least once a week. I love escargot. It's like my favorite thing in the world. You know, but at the same time, like, you wouldn't go to a discount place to get them. Like, if you're going to get snails or you're going to get shrimp or you're going to get something that, you know, that if it's bad, like, you can potentially die from it, you know, I I wouldn't, I would, I would, I would go to some place that is known for it. It's kind of like going to, like, Amazon and ordering makeup or, like, from a different country. Like, you don't know what's in it. So yeah. for me, like yesterday with the shrimp, and I was just like, oh, when I it was too late. We already ate them before, you know, I figured out where they're from. I was like, oh, they're from India. And then I looked it up, and they're just like, well, if you're in the U.S., it's it's best to get your shrimp that has been, like, farm-raised in the U.S. If not, you don't know what's in it. It could potentially really make you sick. So mm-hmm. that's just my uh, advice for those of you who love seafood. Yeah, speaking of seafood and that, and before we go on to the rest of the show, uh, we had a story several months ago where you wanted, you know, where we had where somebody would get cream from Mexico and they ended up getting a, a nasty, you know, life-threatening rash. Okay, so well, no, that was, well, me, that? was a story. Yeah. So no, the story wasn't yeah. cream; it was like skincare and makeup. So yeah, okay. What happened was a lot of the times. Like, you'll see these makeup dupes, you know? And for me, yeah. it's like, if you don't have the money to spend, like, on high-end makeup, like, go to a drugstore then. But, like, don't try to buy imitation makeup because, my God, do you, people don't understand how how horrible that can be. Like, I made the mistake one time. Like, I thought I was buying something authentic, and I wasn't. And I it, it was the same price. Yeah. It wasn't, like, it was, like, super cheap. It wasn't. And because I had used that product before and then I used it, Tom, and my face broke out in so, so much acne that I was really freaked out. Like I literally had to go see a dermatologist like ASAP, you know, and that's the mm-hmm. thing. It's like, if if you're not going to, it's, it's the same thing with ordering pills. Like you're not going to order your like vitamins or like diet pills or whatever kind of pills you have random country or from random seller that you don't know where where they're located or something like that like you don't buy lotions you don't buy especially skincare i mean my god like you know how bad that could be if like if you don't the thing the thing with china is that they don't have an fda um so they're not regulated to tell you what's in their products so yeah. you don't know what you're putting on your face and your face is like the most, one of the most sensitive, you know, we have sensitive skin, yeah. you know, you go buy like some, some skincare that you don't know anything about. Like, yeah, you can develop like a horrible rash, a horrible acne, some, make your face bloated. And, you know, in the long run, you're spending more money trying to fix your face now than you were in the beginning. Yeah. You know, China doesn't have an FDA regulation, so you're not, you're never going to know exactly what's in their products. You just won't. Yeah. Unless you go to like mm. Tatcha, which is one of my favorite uh, skincare brands. Um, 
you know, they're a Japanese-based company, but they tell you what's in their ingredients. It's not, they're not China. It's not China. So there's a huge difference, you know? So, I mean, my advice is like, I I like to splurge on that stuff because it keeps me, it keeps me looking like I'm still in my twenties. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't mind shelling out that pricing, but you know, if you don't like, you can go to your drugstore like Target or, you know, wherever, whatever it is you, you guys shop at and they have stuff there too, you know, but do not, I mean, guys, I'm, I'm being really serious. Like do not go on some random website like in China and order your makeup and skincare products or vitamins or pills yeah. because you literally do not know what's in them. People have died from this. Yeah. Well, it's like I say, it's a, yeah, I mean, it's like I say, it's, uh, you know, like a very, I mean, like I said, we've talked about this before and, uh, and you know, absolutely correct on, you know, like I say, I guess the best way you can say it, uh, you know, buy U.S. <laughs> All right, this Tom Donkey. Well, it's not even buy you. It's, it, yeah, go on. Yeah, it's uh, Tom Donkey here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. On the, you know. I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old the for media flu. Is I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Yeah, this is uh, Tom Donaldson, Coco Konski here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You can give us a call at 646-929-0130, 646-929-0130. Don't forget to get your flu shots. And you can listen to this show on, yes. the, air, on the Bachelor News Airtime dot pro, uh, 3 a.m., 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, or midnight and 7 a.m. Uh, Coco time. Right. And don't forget tomorrow we... We'll have a special show on mental health. Uh, yeah, we're doing that. We're Wild... going to have C.C. Harrison, right. who does, uh, she works a lot in mental health. So we're going to discuss, basically, we're going to take a whole hour to discuss mental health and, you know, during the time of COVID, if you are depressed, and what kind of different types of depression there are. So yeah. if you know someone who has a mental disorder or you yourself have experienced, like, bouts of depression. Um, I think the show could be really informative uh, for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So welcome once again back to the Donaldson Files. And real quick question, you know, real quick thing here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, uh, and so I do have to do one of these. Uh, how should we put it? I have to kind of declare myself uh, a willing participant in this. So I do have a dog in the fight. But we now got the Georgia Senate race. We got two races in the Georgia Senate, mm-hmm. which will be decided January the fifth. And, um, and as I stated, uh, you know, there, you know, I do have to give a fair warning that I do have, I am involved in this particular race, so I am totally a hundred percent biased. <laughs> I should say a thousand percent biased as opposed to a hundred percent biased. Uh, but it's going to be a kind of an interesting race, uh, and. Yeah, at least, yeah, because, at least Loper agreed agreed to go on it. I mean, agreed with uh to with the debate. Um, yeah. And uh, I like also. I I like him. You know. Um, yeah. 
I think a lot of people are invested in this, you know, this race. Yeah. And of course his opponent, his opponent refuses to like show up. I mean, it's like the second time it's happened. Um, I think yeah. when he called him out for um, when he said he was like really Jewish looking and then he called him like, and he called him like Muslim or something. And it's just like, okay, well, Jewish people aren't Muslim. So which one is it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, I, I think like, for you not to show up to debate, to debate, it really kind of shows your yeah. character. You know, I think if you if you if you basically are talking crap about your opponent and then refuse to basically show up to a debate, like in my book, like that just means you're weak. That's just that's but, just how yeah. I feel. You know, I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't, but you can't talk about someone like, and do hurl like all these insults and then refuse to show up to debate that person. Like, I'm sorry. Like if this was high school, they would have laughed you out. That wouldn't have happened. You have to abide by the debate rules. And this guy, his opponent is is just not doing that, but it's like, he's great at insulting. Well, we'll see what happened. I mean, because the the, the one, the, the, the interesting aspect in a lot of this is that, you know, in Senate races and congressional races, debates don't have the same impact as they do in a presidential race. Uh, mainly, you know, it's just it's just they just don't. But to me, the interesting thing is Warren. It's going to be interesting what happens with Warren not because no sooner than everything came out, you know, that the let's say you had the runoff. It, uh, you know, the problem with Warren you know, it's like this. The problem with Warnock is he's going to he is. Of all of those four candidates, you know, he's the one that has the potential dragging down Ossoff, uh, the other guy, if for no other reason. I mean, this is when you, when you find out you have things like you go to a love fest for Fidel Castro, which he did. Uh, you do lectures on socialism is biblical, which he did. And, it, and when you do these – and when you have all of this, all of a sudden it shows up. It, you, know, it, you know, it's almost as if, Wow. Because my question is, obviously, somebody decided to say this to the runoff because somebody did the math math calculation. Namely, you got seven or eight people in the race. Nobody's going to get 50%. All you got to do is make sure that one of the two Republicans finishes number two and number, and number two, which happened with you know Kelly Loeffler. And it's going to be kind of an, you know. And so basically, this guy's track record is you know obviously suddenly you get all of this out. And the question to me is going to be is you got one guy who's going to basically be – call it the AOC candidate. Yeah. And the uh, question can I, yeah. Go ahead. Okay, go, go on. Oh, I was going to say something about AOC. Like I know like all, all my friends who are like Democrats like literally cannot stand her. And like I'm one of those people too. Like I just think like, you know, it's like people wanting Biden to like – pass the bill right now and it's like he's not in office yet and for AOC to like kind of like bag on other Democrats you know her saying well all the funding that I get is like 100% for the people and it's it's like she picks on you know Doug Jones she picks on 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 candidates who maybe don't have the fundraising money that she has and so she wants to dismiss those those types and, like, you shouldn't. Like, absolutely not. And I think it was really kind of, I don't know if the word's petty. I don't know if that's the right word I'm looking for. But to basically divide Democrats within the party, like, that's just not a smart thing. I think she's really hot-headed. 
not necessarily a bad thing, but when it comes to, like, she's still brand new into politics. She's still brand new. And I think the fact that she is trying to divide, like, the progressives from, like, the centrists and, you know, who whatever Democrat, you know, party line that you, you, you believe in, like, I'm a centrist, um, a moderate. I don't, I'm not, like, an AOC fan at all. But I just thought that was really tacky. I thought I thought it was it was pretty lame for her to just like say this when Biden isn't even in office yet. Like you couldn't wait till after January to like talk about these other issues. Like you have to just like kind of like really just stab at all these other Democrats first, you know? I mean that's just me. But I know a lot of other people agree with me. I have many friends who are Democrats who agree with me who they they, they can't stand her. And the reason is, it's yeah. like, to me, she's really inexperienced. You know, I think she has a lot to learn, especially in this field. And for her to try to divide Democrats um, to fight each other, like, I think it's really, I think it's really dumb and just really sloppy. Well, here's the thing. I mean, this is the thing you guys, is, I mean, I've been saying this all along about what the, the, the problem with the Democratic Party. Now you are going to have to face it is you got, it's a party that's moved far to the left, and people like AOC have pre- have been setting the agenda. If you look at the actual agenda that they are you know, looking at, and the question comes into play is that they want their place at the table. And it's going to be kind of interesting because she's basically saying, in fact, you know, hey, we're part. You know, she's basically in effect saying we are the party, and you have to listen. She's to us. not. No, she's not. She's but, not the. She's not the party. She's not the party. You know, there's so many people. Like, well, she's the one who badmouthed Kamala Harris completely. She's the one who who would not give her support to Biden. And then, you know, there are people like like Ryan Knight, who, I, for the life of me, for the life of me, I don't understand how he has a platform. I honestly do not. Ryan Knight also goes by proud pro socialist. You know, if you look back at his tweets, like. You know, like a, a year ago, he was like, well, we need to back the Democratic candidate no matter what. Oh, Joe Biden's a Democratic candidate. Oh, but again, again, you, you should guys stay home and not vote. Like he was telling people stay home and not to vote. So between like these socialist, socialist Democrats versus the moderate centrist Kamala Harris type Democrats, there is a big difference. I've seen it. Like I know it. They, you know. Yeah, but, um, yeah, but here's the yeah, but here's the thing. You started looking because, like, uh, like I said, I've been following this for like five, you know, several years. Yeah, I even wrote a book, "The Rise of National Populism and Democratic Socialism," which I described all this. And the thing is, you start looking. You go back to the thing is this. I stated in 2016, you know, when Bernie Sanders essentially won. Is you know won the war on the soul of the Democratic Party, and now all of a sudden you have a situation where okay, Biden is now president, and the question is he's going to is that he's going to have a hard time dealing with the you know the, you know some of these people. But here's the thing: when it comes to healthcare, it'll be a good example. On the other side of the equation is on the Green New Deal. That is his version of it is not much different than uh, AOC. And, the, and I'm going to tell you, it's going to be, a, you know, well, between the fact it'll be a total economic disaster. But, uh, I mean, the question is, I mean, you guys have, I mean, this is one of those things where this has been coming on for a long time. When you're out of power, 
it's not as noticeable until you get into power. And the other problem you run into is you guys, there's like 10 to 15 seats that the Republicans got. And there's at least three or four out more. And there's quite a few more out there that have yet to be decided, like uh, the 25th District. I think Michael Garcia is still slightly ahead. And so you got seats like that are still up for grabs. And, and maybe the question I'm going to throw back is that in the case is that you don't have the leeway that they had, you know, let's say the last Congress, because now you're going to have a uh, Congress that basically it's going to be much closer, maybe a few votes differential. And right. it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. But, to see. Yeah, go ahead. Um, a lot of the people that have turned on AOC are people of color because, you know, some some of the times, like, the way she addresses certain issues, you know, for people who, like, really grew up, you know, all types of different people grew up, you know, whether they were, like, in the projects or, like, they grew up, like, poor. And, you know, I've noticed, this is just, like, from what I've seen, a, a lot of women, like, Latinas, um, people of color, like, ethnicities like they just don't like AOC and like there's there's a reason why I mean she complains about you know how she doesn't get paid enough and yet she makes like a six-figure salary and to me it's like well if you can afford your rent where you live like you're not doing bad you're okay you know um, yeah I'm all for for raising the minimum wage I totally am because it is impossible to live where I live and make a minimum wage and be able to pay your rent there's like no way you can do it there's no way. And people are just like, well, you should go to school. Well, like, listen, yeah, I, I graduated, you know, um, it, it's even with a bachelor's or, you know, a, or whatever degree you have, it is like impossible right now to get a job. And mm-hmm. so I've just noticed a lot of the backlash on AOC um, with that and how she, she well, speaks to certain people. Well, here's what they're saying. Let me throw this up because this is, to me, what I found fascinating about this election, mainly because, uh, you know, again, uh, you're looking at a guy who basically has been seeing the political wins for a long time. And, I, you know, and, and after this break here, I'll brag about myself and uh, go Fort Mill, discuss this even further. I'm Donaldson Kokokoski here on the Donaldson files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Tune in to You and the Law with Chief Virgil Green and Chief Keith Humphrey. The show focuses on law enforcement and their relationship with the black community while letting you know your legal rights as a citizen when confronted by the police. Listen live every Tuesday night from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Sunday at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. And don't forget also the Bachelor News Radio Show with your host, L.A. Bachelor. The show discusses issues of race, politics, policing, injustice, inequality, religion, and sports that affect black, brown, and poor people negatively. Listen live every Monday and Tuesday from 6 a.m. to 8 you know, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at blocktalkradio.com slash L.A. Bachelor. And the rebroadcast every day, 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at the Bachelor News on Airtime.pro. 
Uh, if you're interested in having your own show or advertising, email us at labastard40 at gmail.com. And don't forget the Donaldson Files on bastardnewsairtime.pro. You can listen every 3 a.m., 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, new, uh, midnight and 7 a.m. Pacific Time. And, and, and if you want to comment further uh, on this show, feel free to call in today at 
I went to a you know donors and I said, look, here's the deal. Dick Durbin wins sixty five percent of the vote. You know, you know, conventional wisdom said, don't try to compete with the guy. I said, if you give me enough money, I'll knock this guy down, make him campaign. He's not going and allow the other Republicans to run free without, let's say, having to deal with his money coming in on this side, and which exactly happened. He had the worst performance in his career at that point in time, the worst performance. And I know for re- – and I do know because I had friends of mine who are political junkies and know the political world in Illinois. At least you know, I had a couple of people tell me, you got this guy scared. This guy's actually in that his eternal pollings, you know, while the pollings were saying, you know, they're like, he was like 10 points up, 12 points up, 14 points up, 20 points up. You know, I had reliable sources tell me his private pollings had him down six, seven points over a very nondescript Republican candidate. I could always remember one of the great lines where a friend, a donor came up to me and said, boy, this Republic is running a crappy campaign, to which I said, well, my entire strategy was based on the fact that he would run a lousy campaign, and we will run the campaign he should be running. But the but my point I'm gonna make is this: both Republicans had the highest percentage of Hispanic voters in the history of Illinois Republicans. The highest. We basically knocked down Dick Durbin's numbers, and. And Republicans basically, we elected the governor, we elected two extra congressional seats. But to me, I look back at that experience, and it was like we saw coalition that we're seeing now. It's kind of like Trumpism without Trump, which is where Republicans are going to be next year, Trumpism without Trump. But it worked. And that's what I think. It's not just in the Hispanics, not just about socialism. Is that a lot of these individuals are blue Collar workers, and there is an appeal there. And the real and the other aspect is is that the inroads are there, the potential is there. The real question is going to be is the battleground is on suburban whites, in particularly in those areas like you know, in the major metropolitan centers. And that's you know, and that's going to be the very interesting question down the road. Your thoughts? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, okay. Here's the other question I'm going to throw back to you: Is what is your thoughts on the Trump Accountability Project? Are you familiar with it? Yeah. Uh, um. Remind people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, like I said, we wanted to – I kind of want to get your opinion on that because uh, I think it's kind of an interesting thing because it's on one side of the equation. Uh, uh you know, I think there's some elements there to me that's there's somewhat of a dangerous side of the equation. So, okay, can, uh, uh, I think we may have the technical problems. Okay, Coco, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. For a second, I thought we lost you. All right. Well, no, let me ask you a question. No. What's your yeah? Okay. 
What's your thoughts on the accountability project? I mean, what's your thoughts? <sighs> All right. Let me process my thoughts. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Let me put it from my perspective is that it, it, I guess my question would be is this. I mean, it, to me is this. I will put it in this way. Let me ask the – I'm going to ask the question this way. I will be eventually part of that project. They will eventually target me. And the reason why I say that because I've been targeted by – different groups over the past three or four election cycles. I've been targeted. I've even had, you know, say, and I'll, you know, and I'll say, and I will also say that I, I've had, a, let's just say, I've had my experience with the media as part of that targeting. And the other aspect is I've got donors who, quite frankly, will be targeted. And if they get targeted, any groups they donate will get targeted. So my question is, should I be punished <laughs> in um, the accountability? I honestly, I honestly believe in the role that you have. I think if you're one of those people who, like, you know, I'm trying to put this into words. Because I, I know you're not a racist, and I, 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 know, I know that, Tom. Like, I know you. But there were people that worked with him. That, that that to me are like that 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 helped this man get elected who who you know knowing what kind of person he is that I've seen their Twitter accounts and they say the most vile horrible racist you know homophobic things and no like I I would not want them working I mean I really I really think it depends on who they are and what you've seen and what you, their actions and their accountability and, and their like, like really who, who, who they are, you know, like I see some real vile stuff. Like there are a lot of QAnon people that work with Trump. Um, like if, if you're going to, if you're Marjorie green, I mean, I, I don't know if I hate her as much as I hate Trump, but she's pretty close. Um, you know, I, I, and it's just a conspiracy. Like, if you're a conspiracy person, Tom, like, if, if you're if you're thinking, like, there's a secret, what what do they say? Like, there was it's a group of pedo- it's a, If I remember, it's like a group of pedophiles running the Democrats in Washington. No, 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 no. Like, it was, it That's was like. That's part of it, isn't it? That's part. What? The pedophiles running the running D.C. Because I know they were oh, big yeah. on the yesterday. But- yeah, or like, or, or 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 those who you know, like honestly, QAnon really scares the shit out of me, Tom. They really do. Um, mostly because I've encountered a lot of them on Twitter, and they literally yeah. say like the most horrible things. Like you, you can say, I mean, like it's like it's like white 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 power, and like you know these people like like I've encountered them. You know, and, and honestly, yeah. they're, they're scary as shit, Tom. They really are. I mean, these are the people who are allowed to vote. And, you, you know, you have, for example, Marjorie Green, who is, like, part of QAnon, and she just got elected. And I, w- I was reading, like, like her posts, and I'm like, holy shit, who voted for her? Like, that, that's, like, my, my, my thought. It's like, it's like how, how did this happen? 
I mean, she's not yeah. just a conspiracist. She's not just that. I mean, she's batshit crazy. She really is. If you well, go look yeah. at her tweets, yeah, well, if you go look at her yeah, tweets, well, like, they're insane. Yeah, well, let me ask you a question, because here's the thing. I don't get all that. I mean, to me, QAnon, it, I mean, for example, we have yet to see riots led by these people, but we've seen riots. Yes, we did. Trump. We did. No, when, we saw when, them. When, 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 I, when, saw, I, when. Saw, I saw them last when. week. Don't fucking yell at me. Like, I mean, I'm telling you, I saw them on last week when on Twitter when they're, they're I mean, it's they're all over. They're, they're called the Proud Boys, Tom. We, I, I well, actually all, remember, I, I, well, hold on, hold on. I remember, yeah. uh, uh, like, a huge fight happened at a bar, you know, in L.A. Um, with the Proud Boys, and they literally beat the shit, beat the shit out of people, like, that, that basically told them to get out. They literally beat the shit out of them. Yeah. So, no, well, I mean, here's the Proud thing. Boys can yeah. go kiss my ass. Well, I mean, here's the, I mean, look, I mean, here's the, it comes down, because it's like, I mean, you go back, okay, just look at the, just the last week protests where, okay, where you had a million people marching in support of Trump, and you had Achieva people starting fights. They were the ones who started it. You had literally, I mean, here's the thing. You have two cities where the center part of those cities are essentially ungovernable for months. I mean, this is, I mean, this is the reality. I mean, and when, and, and, and when people say, I mean, you know, like Marjorie Greene, you know, look, here's the thing. I mean, who? What's worse, Marjorie Greene, or the the young the the, the Palestinian woman from Michigan, Taliban, who basically come out point blank and stated, you know, I mean, her Middle East proposal is no Israel. I mean, how much more anti-Semitic can you get? I mean, it's, it's, I mean, to me, what is worse? What is worse, being a Marxist like AOC? I don't know. I mean, who's going to do more damage? Uh, I mean, who's going to do more damage? I mean, I don't get – I mean, like I say, everybody's going to have their nutcases. But the question is how close are the nutcases to power? And, and I would say to you, you got more of a problem on that end with the AOC bunch who are closer to power, who have elements of that power, who can make things change versus somebody like Marjorie Green, who is going to be a backbencher as long as she's in the party. And she's in a dis, you know, and that's uh, a bit. I'm not. I mean, she's not going to run the party. She's not even going to come close. But AOC's got a lot more power and influence than what people realize. Because uh, you know, the difference between AOC and a lot of people, AOC believes her cause. She's a revolutionary in that respect. Uh, I'm going to let you finish. So I'm going to let you conclude here. Then we got to get. Uh, then we're going to be kind of running up on time. I said, do you have any summary? And then, uh, and then, like I said, we because we're getting close to the last about the last five minutes of the show. Yeah, we are getting close to it. Um, actually, I wanted to talk um, about something <laughs> that I, I, I was gonna I was gonna talk about, um, and then I completely forgot. It's gonna come back to me. I promise you. Um, yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> flu shots. Um, yeah. well, you know, should be the vaccine. Yeah, I think that's yes. pretty good news. I mean, you've yeah, got I, I two vaccines. Yeah, that's two vaccines. I mean, here's the got. thing with me. Like, I, you know, 
with me. It's like even when I get the vaccine, I'm still going to be wearing my mask afterwards. I'm sorry, but until yeah. it's like I don't know what a person's going to get if a person's vaccinated or not. You know, um, yeah. it's funny. Someone someone actually mentions this to me. They're like, if you see a person coughing, like, do you automatically assume they have COVID? And my hydrochondriac ass says, absolutely. Um, and it's funny because earlier this week, I, I woke up with, like, horrendous allergies. And I'm thinking, like, oh, shit. Like, because I had been out. I, I had been um, I had been playing kind of with the neighborhood kids or whatever. And then, like, I started getting sick, and then I was just like, oh, my God, not again. So I rushed my ass down to CVS, and I, I, I bought a bunch of allergy pills. Like, I think I spent, like, $100 just on allergy medication, you know, um, just yeah. because, like, I, I work from home. And so, for me, it's like I have to, I have to like, not be sick, <laughs> especially now. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But it's so important to get your flu shot, I think. Like, I mean – I got mine and I didn't get the yeah. flu, but you know, they're like the same with shingles. Like it's extremely, I mean, you know how painful shingles are. I oh mean, yeah. I mean, my wife, my it, wife had shingles and you know, the irony right. is, so here's the irony. She got a shingle shot and she still got it. And I got, you know, right. I got my shingle shot because when I, I mean, trust me, like I say, it's a painful experience. Anybody it who's really ever is. had it. It is, it really is, and so, yeah, but yeah, and I think, and and, and I guess I'm a like I say to me, you know, my view is very simple. You know, if the vaccine when it comes out, I, it depending because I have a feeling they're going to put priorities, you know, starting with the most vulnerable all the way down, and I'm not sure where on that list I'm going to be. I'm, you know, if it's the over 65 crowd, which by the way I qualify for, or how they're going to do it. Uh, so it'd be kind of interesting because I would suggest, I mean, I would imagine the most vulnerable would be the ones who get it first. Uh, right. But, uh, I mean, it, it's just like important. It's like chicken pox. Like, and that's another thing. Holy crap. That's what I wanted to talk to you about. There were these parents that threw this uh, COVID prompt yeah. or something like that. And it was so bad that they, they knew they were going to get in trouble. So they basically, um, hid the names of the people who attended this party and now like yeah. 15 people like have COVID. It's like almost yeah. like they were, they were trying to do like a chicken pox party. Yeah. All right. I'll tell you what, I'm going to leave that on this note because we're at that point of the show where we need to say goodbye. And goodbye. don't forget tomorrow's, yeah, tomorrow's program is going to be mental health uh, with wild heart guest host uh, hosts. Uh, and I guess a host of the Wild Heart Show, C.C. Harrison, on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And this is Tom Donaldson. This is Coco Kosky. We're saying good night.
Hey, we want to welcome you to You Are the Law on the home of the Bachelor News Radio Network. We want to uh, thank all of our listeners uh, to join us this evening as we uh, get into a hot topic that uh, is definitely going to be um, uh, in- interesting conversation with our listeners tonight. But without further ado, I need to introduce you all to the man that sits on my left. And he may sit on my right, but he goes by the name of T-Swag. What's going on, Brother Virgil, and to the listeners, how y'all doing? Man, we're doing good. I'm doing good, man. You kind of sound a little down, brother. What's going on with you, man? Oh, nothing, man. I'm just paying attention, listening to my hero talk, man. Oh, now I'm a hero. Wow, man, that is that's that's amazing to to know that I'm your hero. Well, you always have been my hero, man. You are the wind <laughs> beneath my wings, man. <laughs> well, you know, you know what, man? I don't know. I don't know what you, you've had. You must have had a good day at the office, brother, because I've never heard anything like that come out of your mouth. So. You have must have had a very good day. So, but I'm going to take the compliment. <laughs> yeah, take the compliment, man, and keep moving. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, hey, we want to remind our, our listeners that you're listening to You and the Law uh, on the uh, Bachelor News Radio Network, and uh, we've got a, an exciting show um, ahead of us that we've got a good topic that we're going to be talking with our listeners about, but we want to remind you, um, this is your first time listening to the show. You know, the calling number to the show is 646-929-0130. That's 646-929-0130. And you can uh, follow us on our social media platforms. You can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram. And you can also follow us on Twitter, and you can follow us on Twitter at YouTheLaw1. That's YouTheLaw1 on Twitter. And uh, Keith, you know, cannot emphasize that we have another person that is a part of our show that does everything from behind the scenes, and uh, we cannot do this without our good friend and uh, producer, L.A. Bachelor. So we want to definitely uh, give him some, give him a shout out, and thank him for everything that he does for us for behind the scenes. So that's our charismatic and suave producer. Yeah, 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 man. He, he you know, he's gonna come. He's gonna come with some, with some good, uh, with some good background jams for us today. So, but Keith, man, you know, we um, the topic today we're gonna be talking about is uh, can police officers unlearn their unconscious racial biases. So, you know, man, I think over the next hour, man, we're going to have a, a really good conversation about, you know, unconscious biases, implicit biases, uh, explicit biases, and how, how, uh, how does that impl- impact the, um, the black community? And uh, what are some police departments doing? And, you know, do these training programs really work? So we're going to have a, um, you know, a real conversation with our listeners about this topic, and we hope that you will join in and call in and, you know, 
uh, share your comments or concern with us. The chat room is open, but when you call in, let the uh, producer know that you've got a question or a comment, and he'll put you through or he'll send us your message. But uh, hopefully this is a, you know, a topic that we can get everybody engaged with us on, Keith, because, you know, just recently, Keith, uh, and I don't know if a lot of people around the country are aware of what uh, took place uh, a couple weeks ago in Albany, New York, where a police officer uh, was caught on another officer's uh, body cam uh, making uh, racist comments about black people. And so when I saw this, Keith, I said, you know, but what really struck me, Keith, was they had stated that he had received, he had went through the agency's implicit bias training one month prior to this incident. So I asked myself this question. Here's somebody who went through maybe, you know, a six-hour, eight-hour training. But when he walked away from that training, he still had those same biases. So what does that say about the training or what does that say about the individual officer? So that's why, you know, I think it's really important that we have this conversation with our listeners to see how they feel about that and what is what can be done to really change uh, how policing is done. And is, is this type of training really, uh, does it really have some type of impact on changing police officers' per- perception about their uh, biases. We have seven, you have several categories of people who attend those classes. You have individuals that really want to learn and, and want to see how they can improve. And you have individuals that uh, go to be uh, defensive. And then you have individuals that have their minds made up that they're not going to, uh, they don't want to learn anything. Uh, this is who I am. I'm going to be this way. Um, or you're not talking to me. You know they're not they're not talking to me. They're referring to other people. So you know it's 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 just because you go to a class, it doesn't mean that you're going to come out of that class a better person. Uh, it means that you either have, you had to go to the class, you're going to take something from the class, you're going to try to work on some things that you prop, that you need to improve on, or you're not going to learn anything at all and continue to do the same things that you've always done. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, Keith, I want to set this up since we couldn't get the audio clip uh, for our listeners to uh, to listen to this uh, audio exchange between this Albany police officer and a local uh, sheriff deputy uh, who these two agencies are are jointly working together because of the increase in crime. And so that's why these two officers were together. They were in separate cars, but they were at some place getting some gas. And this is how this conversation started about. So I'm going to kind of give some experts, you know, excerpts from this conversation uh, before we go in and take our first break. But these two guys, Keith, they're having this conversation. and But the sheriff deputy is the one who initiates the conversation but some kind of way he accidentally turns on his body cam. But if it hadn't been for him turning on his body camera, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. But right. the Albany police officer uh, 
this officer, the sheriff deputy, is saying that about 50% of the calls they go on are, you know, it's not 50-50. It, it's all predominantly black people that they're dealing with on these calls. And this Albany police officer says that these are the worst effing race of people. And he said, you can't deny, you know, deny it. He says, you know, over the months they've had, he said, oh, man, you know, we work together on these calls. And he said, they're just getting worse and worse. And now he's referring to black people. I'm not using his exact words, but he is referring to black people when he's saying that, that they're the worst effing race and that they're getting worse and worse. Now, this is somebody who, like I said before, went through this agency's implicit bias training, but he is making these type of comments towards black people. So, Keith, we're going to take our first break, but when we come back, we're going to definitely jump into this hot topic with our listeners. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. If you want real discussions on politics, social issues, racial issues, and other topics, then tune into the Bachelor News Radio Show. Listen live every Monday and Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. And if you miss the show, you can listen every Monday through Saturday at 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern and every Sunday at 5 a.m. and 3 p.m. at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Listen and be informed. Greetings and great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe radio broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Welcome back to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network, the Bachelor News Radio Show, WCOM in uh, Chapel Hill and Carborough. Chief Keith Humphrey and Chief uh, Virgil Green uh, here. If you have a question, hit us up, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with them. I will be screening the calls. If you have a question, hit us up there, and I'll get you on the line, or you can just ask the question, and I'll relate it to them. Uh, you can hit, hit them up on their Facebook page as well as you, you Law one And um, I'm sure we got a lot of questions coming in to the both of you brothers with your insight. It's very impactful. So we kick it back to 
Chief Virgil Green and Chief Keith Swag. Got to make sure you get that Chief in there. Chief Keith Swag Humphrey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. We got we got to make sure we use the, uh, the 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 alias, the alias Chief Swag. So, but but Keith, man, uh, this is gonna be a, a interesting uh, topic that uh, we're gonna have and. Uh, amongst ourselves and what our listeners about the uh, can police officers unlearn their unconscious racial biases. And, and this is a serious conversation because as we, we go back and we look at the, the George Floyd incident, uh, how that officer just kneeled on uh, George Floyd's neck for over eight minutes and he died and, he pleaded with this officer, uh, and this officer had no remorse, no concern about his life whatsoever. And so the biases that he had toward George Floyd and that he had toward the black community is something that, you know, is a conversation that we have to have amongst ourselves. And and I think some people who, uh, who are, will listen to us, you know, we want you all to know that you know, we want to make sure that we're having conversations with with you all that are upfront and honest. And the fact that we are two black men, and that we just want to keep it real with you. And when we and when there's bad behaviors, we're going to call out bad behaviors. When there's good behaviors, we're going to call out good behaviors. But this situation right here is getting it is beyond anything, and that. And I asked myself this question, Keith. You know, we always want to be positive about stuff. But I'm going to ask this question. I'm going to be the, the devil advocate on this. Can, this. can this be repairable? Are you talking about a person's bias, or are you talking about the relationship between police and the, well, which ones are you? Well, I'm, I'm going to say let's just say in general about a person's biases. You know, it's left up to that individual person if they want to change their habits. And, right. you know, I go back to Keith uh, when, you know, the Starbucks, you know, when the incident happened with Starbucks uh, several years ago, the police officers were called to Starbucks by one uh, a manager with Starbucks. It was the police officers who took this man, those two individuals, to jail. It wasn't the manager of Starbucks. The police officers could have responded and said, "Okay, I'll listen to what you have to say. Listen, listen to what you have to say, store manager, and listen to what the customers have to say." And at the end of it, they could have said, well, these guys are not committing any kind of crime. You guys have a policy where people can come in, they can use your Wi-Fi, they can drink coffee. What crime have they committed? They haven't committed a crime. We're going to leave them alone. That's the end of the day. But it was these officers who started that uh, chain reaction because of the call that they received. So, is it do are we really kind of fooling ourselves, Keith, when we say that these officers who have a long history of 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 biases because we all kind of have some biases 
are we expecting too much to say that if we send you through an eight-hour training, that some kind of way, magically, you're going to just come out of that class and say, oh, wow, man, I don't have any more biases. You know that's that's the that's the rainbows and gun gumdrops. You know you're hoping that people. <laughs> what you're hoping is that yeah. What you're hoping is that you know that you probably have those officers that feel that way, and so you're hoping that you by establishing this type of training and sending these officers to the training that everything uh, will either be fixed, it'll bring awareness to their implicit and explicit bias. Um, that's what you're hoping. Uh, that yeah, that's what We as police chiefs need to stop thinking that if there's a fix-all, you know, automatically send somebody to a class. Um, the, the problem is when you have to have these type of classes, uh, the problem already exists. So let me, let me kind of share what I'm saying. Uh, it doesn't do any good to have those type of classes when you have an officer who has a history, a uh, documented history of uh, doing these type of things. And so you continue to allow this to occur. You continue to allow this officer to be on the street. Uh, you continue, and, and then you put this officer in a class. Uh, we've got to stop doing that. It starts, uh, we've got to start doing consistent training on the, on the topics that we're talking about. Uh, when we recognize uh, that, that these officers are doing that, we have to address it immediately. But sending somebody to a training uh, is only the beginning. Uh, if I send you to a training once a year for eight hours, what happens the other 364 days and the other uh, hours? Uh, we work 2,080 hours a year. That's a basic. That's a, that's a that's a basic work year. That's a basic calendar year for the number of hours people work. Now, that's not including overtime. We work 20,000, I mean, I'm sorry, 2,080 hours. So you mean to tell me that you're going to have an eight-hour class, and then that's going to fix the other 20, that's not going to fix the other 2,072 hours uh, that, that an officer works or encountering someone out here on the street. It's very difficult to, 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 to fix that. We have to recognize it before the class. We have to be consistent with it, and we have to call it what it is when we see this type of behavior occurring. Yeah, you do, Keith. And I think that's what, you know, uh, a lot of people are, are you know, if once they realize that, hey, these officers are going through this type of training, but then once they come back and they start working in, in the communities, uh, they still have the same type of, of, of attitudes, and that causes a lot of um, – that's a concern for the black community, and it's definitely a concern for organizations such as the NAACP and organizations like Black Lives Matter, uh, the ACLU. All these organizations are, are looking at law enforcement to see what are you doing to reform – yourselves and you know it goes back to this question is, is this something that should even be a part of the hiring uh, screening when officers are are being uh, looked at to offer them a position with your agency uh, to really understand where this person 
who this person is and where they're coming from. Uh, again, I'm not saying because we all have biases, but there again, if if there is some type of of uh, something there that shows that this officer uh, has some serious uh, biases uh, about himself, and and if he or she cannot be honest and say, you know, I have these unconscious biases, but I'm really trying to work on them to be better, uh, that may go a long way with determining if is that person a good fit for that community. And I think we oftentimes, Keith, we're hiring police officers because we need police officers. But we're not hiring police officers based upon the fact that are these guys, are these men and women a good fit in the community that they're serving? Yeah, you know, that, that's a good point. But how do you find that officer? I mean, how do you, what, what type of test? I mean, just, just go through the process. I mean, uh, can a person hide that? I mean, you know, a person makes it through the psychological, oh, they yeah. make it through the background, psychological, they make it through the physical, they get into the academy, they make it through the academy, they make it through field training. Uh, they might not show the explicit bias, but they still can have that implicit bias. Uh, what it what it takes is that people recognize that uh, you know their their coworkers recognize that and not coming forth and telling it. But how do you determine who's good for a neighborhood, who's good for an area when there are no signs? Uh, how do you tell that? I mean, how do you so then when you find out somebody is like that, you know that uh, whether people complain on it, substantiated the. What do you do? You move them to another part of town hoping they'll change? But you can't take someone who has a problem with minorities and because they have a problem with minorities, we're going to take them and we're going to put them in a white neighborhood because we're going to get them away from the minorities. The, the, the problem with that is, so now what you're telling this officer is, you, you're okay, I'm going to put you over here with the people that you prefer to be with and so what happens when that officer gets dispatched across town because there's a shortage of officers or because all the other officers are tied up on a call and this officer that you've removed from the minority community now is over the white community and he has to go back to the minority community and take a call. What happens when that officer is working an off-duty job uh, and he's encountering minorities? So, you, you, you know, you, you, can't, you can't move people to to, to to accommodate what they want, you hire a police officer to be able to work in any area of a city. You don't mm-hmm. you don't want only white officers in white parts of town and only Hispanic officers in parts of town. You want a good police officer who understands what the purpose of law enforcement is. When you start having to put officers because you're afraid of their behavior in a minority community, it, it's time for that officer to go. Yeah. You, yeah, you, yeah, you, you yeah, can't. So, you, you can't do that. You can't. You. This is a profession that you can't do that. You just can't do that, and 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 you can't ignore it when you have those issues. You cannot ignore it. So it's yeah. it's it's not a difficult decision. It's either that person needs that person is suitable for your job for your uh, department and the community, or he's not. And if he's not, he doesn't need to be working as an officer. Yeah. Well, Keith, and, and, you know, I, I'm going to 
put this question out there before we go to break and, and come back uh, after the break and, and touch on it. But the question is, should agencies really look at their whole agency as a whole to see what biases exist within the agency? But we're going to take a break, but you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Join Barry Barnes for Locker Talk on the Bachelor Pad Network as he presents NFL news and evaluates players Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. May I help you? Yeah, it's just cold. My sinuses feel like they're going to explode. Sudafed, aisle five. My allergies have my sinuses all stuffed up. Sudafed, aisle five. Tell the man what's wrong. My sinuses. Sudafed, aisle five. Sinus misery? Get Sudafed. Nothing stronger at relieving even your worst sinus symptoms. Not even a prescription. This could just... Sudafed, aisle five. Sudafed, prescription strength sinus relief. Based on 24-hour dose of pseudoephedrine. To promote my new flower shop, I had one place print my business cards, another print my brochures, and a third, my signs. Now my roses aren't red, my violets aren't blue, my geraniums look dead, and I don't know what to do. Staples can help your business stand out with signs, banners, and brochures that are a true reflection of your company. And now with Staples, spend $50 or more on print and marketing services and get $5 off your next in-store purchase. Now my business is blossoming, and I'm spending less green. Exclusions apply, in-store only, and 623-18. Welcome back to You and the Law on the Bachelors Radio Show, the network, I should say, and WCOM in Chapel Hill and Carborough. Six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. The number to get in touch with us. Did get a question from the chat room. I'll read uh, shortly. Also, you can uh, uh, hit us up with questions in the chat room. And if you have a question on the line, I'll screen the calls. One of your buddies, um, Chief Green and Humphrey, on the line listening and uh, just listening. I guess just kind of showing the support and, and wanting to see what you guys have to say. I did get a question. Um, from the chat room and the person asked well the person started off by saying that sometimes and I kind of say this on the show on my show from time to time sometimes uh, integration led to infiltration and the push to be equal and to integrate led to some disastrous situations for our people so his question was playing advocate why not keep if you have white officers that are used to being around white people black officers better to keep uh to police black and brown communities uh let that be the way it is he says churches have uh they 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 considered black churches white churches there's segregation all over the place what would be the harm in doing that that's the question guys i kick it right back to you Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, Virgil, I mean, if I can, I'd love to answer this. Yeah, go go right ahead, and I'll, I'll pick. I'd love to answer that question. Yeah, I'd love to answer that question because you know we we talk about churches, and 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 people still have a right to go uh, where they want to go to church. 
mm-hmm. you know, if you want to go to, you know, if you want to go to a predominantly white church, you're African American or Hispanic, that's your right to do that. Uh, we don't hire police officers because let me tell you this: if you look at the history of policing, uh, policing was a segregated profession back in the in the 20s and 30s, where you had black police officers. And the only thing that black and Hispanic officers could do at that time was police their, the communities in which the people looked like them. Uh, mm-hmm. They were transported to those areas in the back seats of cars. And so to say that we put, and I'm going to just be honest with you, there are some African-American officers that don't need to be in African-American communities because they don't have the they don't they don't have the empathy and they don't want to they don't they don't want to go in and they don't have that community partnership mindset. Yeah, it's like right. there are white police officers that have a problem in certain in, in white areas. There are Hispanic officers that have problems in Hispanic areas. So you have mm-hmm. to be extremely careful when you start talking about segregating police officers. You can't segregate the profession. You can't. If you do that, you're going back to what we what we fought so hard to to be equal. We fought so hard to have police officers, minority police officers, hired as police chiefs, uh, hired as police officers. Period. To be given the same opportunities as white officers were given. So to to say this, do this is totally is totally wrong. You don't want just the same type of people because just because you look a certain way doesn't mean you think the certain the same way. And so you, but, you can't do that. Yeah, and Go you're ahead, right. And it, it, and it doesn't mean you're going to get treated the same way. But it, you well, know, yeah. and I think it, that that you know, uh, it, it definitely you know the question that the the listener posed definitely uh, it sparks the conversation. Uh, about where we were and where we're going, and we definitely don't want to go back. But just like you said, Keith, man, there are some black police officers who don't need to be working in black communities. Uh, and to some degree, they don't even need to be police officers because I have have worked in predominantly all black communities, and I've had officers, and I've looked at them, and I'm like, now you'll talk to your own like this, but you won't say this to a white person, you know. And so, and again, this just goes back to uh, something that we've talked about many times before. Keith is the 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 culture of policing, whether it's black police officers, whether it's white police officers, or uh, uh, Latino police officers. And and I'm gonna say this, Keith, because I think outside of the black white police officers and black police officers, we don't because there's not a lot of Latino police officers and a lot of Asian police officers across the country. We don't hear a lot about the the challenges that they face. What we hear about is the things that happen with white police officers. We may hear a few things about what happened with black police officers. But, you know, again, I just think, you know, the caller needs to understand that, like you said, Keith, even as as early as in the late 70s, 60s and 70s, places like in Oklahoma City and places like in Little Rock, Arkansas and other places around the country, 
black police officers could they could make an arrest, but they could not transport that person to jail. They didn't even have their own patrol cars to 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 even patrol their own neighborhoods. They they walked the beat, and so uh, you know this just goes back to this question that I posed before the break, Keith was. And when we look at the private sector, we look at the public sector, and I'm going to use Starbucks as an example, uh, you have to look at the company within. And and I'm going to pose that same question to policing, to the law enforcement community. You have to look at law enforcement within, and you have to ask yourself, look deeply, uh, what is your relationship with race what has been the law enforcement community relationship with racial bias um i, I think is the fact that, that that it's a very sensitive subject uh, people get defensive when you bring it up uh, there's a perception that when you bring that up that you're focusing on uh white officers only and that you're calling them racist um uh, because for so long, I mean, you know, because when you say diversity training, when you say that, uh, people believe, and you know, that you're automatically talking about white officers, but you're not. You're talking about officers as a whole. Uh, but people do get defensive, and people shut down. And it also depends on who's teaching that class. Uh, what do you yeah. bring to the table? How are you teaching that mm-hmm. class? Uh, but people do shut down. I mean, that's a topic right now that uh, that when you bring it up, people automatically think racism is a part of it. When you start talking about bias, everybody's biased. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody's biased. Everybody has some form of implicit bias. Uh, I don't like. I don't. I don't like um, people that beat up on women. That's a bias of mine. Uh, you know, I don't like. I don't like. I mean, men that beat up on women. I don't like people that take advantage of the elderly. I mean, if you say something, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm. Everybody has bias. Everybody. Mm-hmm. That's that's an implicit. That's an implicit. But but at the same time, as a police officer, if I if I arrest that person, I'm not gonna I'm not going to be abusive to that person because of what I because I I disagree with what they're doing. That person still has rights. The, the problem mm-hmm. that we have is that we automatically shut down. When we when we uh, when we start talking about as far as law enforcement, we're the we're the number one opponents of change. Um, that's black and white officers. The number one proponent. We hate change. We're the opponent of change. We don't like it. So when you start bringing in stuff, so I remember my first um, my first class on cultural diversity, and it was one of the worst experiences that I've ever had, Virgin. Um, because of the because it of the person teaching the class, it was both. It was you know the person teaching the class. Uh, it was just amazing how um, it was a segregated class. All the blacks over here, all the whites over here, and what it ended up doing, mm-hmm. Virgil, it ended up causing a strain but, in the relationship between the minority officers and the white officers, and the white officers. that carried mm-hmm. beyond the academy because yeah. it was taught that way. And so mm-hmm. it all depends on the curriculum and who teaches it and how you teach it um, to, to where people are really interested in getting to look at themselves. That's what you're trying to get people to do. 
look at yourselves and recognize that you have these problems and let's fix it. Let's come up with a solution. Well, and you know, Keith, it's interesting you say that, man, because, you know, studies have found that implicit bias training doesn't change people's behaviors. And and you and you know, and I've said this so many times on on our show, is that we're already dealing with an organization that is already one of the most segregated uh, agencies, workplace workforces there are. You know, the the caller earlier said, well, why not have black officers patrol black communities and white officers patrol their communities and so forth? Because you have churches every Sunday. You have churches are Sundays is one of the most segregated days of the week. Now, you may have a a sprinkle of of blacks going to a white church, or you may have a sprinkle of whites going to a black church. But predominantly, Keith, Sunday is a very segregated day, and it is not changed. So we have to be honest with ourselves and have these conversations amongst ourselves. But when we have these conversations, especially with some, not all, but with some white officers, it turns into why are we having this conversation? Now you're calling me a racist. But is but it that's segregated or is it a choice? Is it segregated yeah, it, or is it a choice? Or is it yeah. historical or generational? Yeah. And, 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 you know, when we look at, you know, you ask the question, is it historical by generation? Is, is the law enforcement culture historical by generation? Because, again, That's a good question. Black, black police, blacks have not been in law enforcement that long. I mean, we can go back and we can well, probably name, you know, a dozen, uh, you know, blacks. We can maybe, maybe name a dozen black sheriffs across the United States. We can name. Well, let me say uh, this, Virgil. Let me, let, me, let me just clarify that. We've been in law enforcement for years, 100 years, more than 100 years. We've been in law enforcement. We just haven't had the numbers or the numbers haven't been recognized. But we've been in law enforcement. Bass Reeves, uh, you know, that, that's the name. We had, and there were, there were, there were, there were you know, if you, really, if you really want to look at it, Harriet Tubman was a law enforcement, was a law officer. She protected <laughs> yeah. to make sure yeah. people yeah. made it yeah. safe. So, you know, if you just want to. If you want to, if you want to just be technical, but we haven't had the numbers and we haven't had the voice. Yeah, and I want to, and I guess in, in modern times, what we're talking about in modern in modern times, where we've had, you know, when we look at organizations like Noble, uh, its rich history with bringing uh, minorities together, uh, and you see the history of of Black men and black women in 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 law enforcement, those who who were pioneers and started out as being the first black police chief in maybe Richmond, Virginia, or first black chief being in in uh, uh, you know Charlotte, North Carolina, wherever it may have been. But again, it's only been very few uh, selected individuals who have who have came before me and you, but who actually opened up the door for where we right. are. And so, right. and again, I guess, you know, this conversation that we're having about implicit bias training, is this training really 
effective training. Uh, and really, Keith, there's no real data because one good thing about law enforcement is that, man, we're going to collect all this data and we're going to put it all together and we're going to say, hey, look, look at what we found. But, Keith, I don't really – I know that there is not very good data to show how effective implicit bias or explicit bias training has been in these police departments. And if somebody says, oh, well, no, you're wrong, well, hey, prove – I would like to, for you to prove me that I am wrong because, again, if it exists, hey, that's great. But I think this is why we we have situations just like what we – listen to in Albany, New York. But Keith, you know what? We're we just went over our break, but hey, we're gonna take a quick break. But you're listening to you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Recovery Month has become widely recognized and does an outstanding job of celebrating recovery, increasing awareness, and acknowledging the amazing work of providers, advocates, people in recovery and their families. I believe our work together is helping many Americans better understand, seek out, attain, and sustain recovery. What began as a small and very good idea has grown into a national, mainstream, sustained, and systematic public education and support effort, all focused on the message that people recover. Getting the message of recovery right is critical because people take action based on what they hear and see and most importantly, what they experience. Experience shapes our knowledge, our values, our attitudes, our beliefs, and our action. Of those who recognized their need for treatment but didn't receive care, the number one reason was no health coverage and could not afford the cost. No one in need should be denied the opportunity for treatment and recovery in our country. Bassett News Radio Network and our sister station WCOM LP in Chapel Hill and Carborough, North Carolina. Uh, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with Chief Virgil Green and Chief Keith Swag Humphrey uh, to answer your questions. A little bit uh, less than 20 minutes left in the show. If we go over, that's fine. Um, but guys, I, I do want to um, read, uh, follow up with is someone who uh, asked a question on, on the phone before. And, and folks, it's 646-929-0130, the number to reach out to the Chiefs. They kind of scrambled it up a little bit, but uh, quickly to Chief Humphrey's point that law enforcement has been around forever, never got the recognition. Well, welcome to the party, as we know. Um you know, some of the greatest inventors and singers and everything else been around forever, NASCAR drivers, whatever, and never get the credit. So we're not surprised about that. Um, but to the person's um, follow-up, they said, 
Yeah, there might be black, bad black officers in in some of these black and brown neighborhoods. And I mean, it was portrayed on Boys in the Hood where the black cop said, I hate you niggers. So we did that to Trey. We know that. Um, but he did say something that makes a lot of sense, which at the end of the day, when you have these biases, implicit, unconscious, unconscious or uh, or anything, that at the end of the day, it's the black and brown communities that get the roughest, the toughest, and the most brutal uh, treatment from all cops of all races, right? Black, white, um, uh, I think, um, Chief Green, you said there's not a lot of um, Latinos and, and um, um, you know, Asians or any other type of ethnic groups that are officers across the country, but guess what? They're some of the most uh, biased officers as well. Just look at George Floyd and other places where you had white cops and you had some uh, non-whites, not black, Asian cops and other in these situations. So I think he makes a great point. Yeah, there's black cops and and black communities that are bad, but at the end of the day, we take we take the brunt of it from all cops of all races. Yeah, you're absolutely right, LA. And and the the caller definitely, you know, made a makes a good point. And the fact that you know, at the end of the day, uh, Keith, that the black and brown communities are the ones that's really suffering from the conversation that we're having. It is it is definitely uh, an impact on the community now, and will continue to be an impact on the community until. Uh, some things really change within uh, the policing uh, of how we police in America. And so, uh, you know, I get, you know, I guess that's the, uh, the elephant, the question, the elephant question in the room is how do you change policing in America and what is real, uh, what is real police reform, Keith? You change it from the top uh, down to the bottom because the officers are the mass numbers. Uh, it, it's very difficult to, to go through there and just and fire everybody. Uh, but then it's too late when a person who has that reputation uh, has been allowed to continue to carry on this behavior. So there's not an easy answer. So you do it one by one. But at the same time, when you start doing it one by one, what about that innocent citizen that, that bears the brunt of the, of the officer that you may have missed? So there's not an easy answer. There's really there's yeah. really not an easy answer. You know, I think people want you to be able to have that have a solution. You just don't. Uh, I've tried and I've tried to figure this thing out. And I think with you you know, and you can't just focus on the good officers because you because you have to focus on you can't do a curriculum just for the good officers. You have to do a curriculum that's for all the officers. Uh, but when you recognize those officers who are defensive in those classes, who are, who have their backs turned, who are rude to the instructor, that's your first opportunity to address it. Um, you know, because 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 they're acting out for some reason. It, it is very mm-hmm. unprofessional for an officer to act out, especially to an outside instructor who's coming in to try to help that organization. Um, we don't do a very good job of addressing that. We basically, this is what we say. Oh, that's just the way police officers are. Uh, they're not receptive to people who don't wear the badge. That's not, that's an excuse. 
That's not fair. That's not the way to change it. The way to change it is we got a problem. This is what I see. This is how we're going to address it, and we're going to hold mm-hmm. people accountable if they continue to do the things that they're doing that cause distrust in our community. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, Keith, I want to remind our listeners that if you're just now tuning into the show, uh, you know, we're having a conversation about can police officers unlearn their unconscious racial uh, biases. And and we also want to re- remind you that if you uh, don't catch the whole show, but if you want to listen to the rebroadcast of You and the Law, you can check us, uh, you can Check out the rebroadcast shows at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at the bachelornews.airtime.pro. That's the bachelornews.airtime.pro at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But, Keith, I want to pose this question to you uh, since you are our chief swag, and I want you to put your swag in, in here, brother. I'm going <laughs> to okay. ask this question. <laughs> um Implicit bias training, is it a toothless strategy, strategy for reform? But beyond <clears throat> that, is it an unscientific fraud? And I'm going to repeat that again. Is implicit bias training, is it, a, is it a toothless strategy for reform? Because, and I'm going to say this because sometimes, you know, we can say we do these things and we can make it look good. And a police department is saying, look, hey, we did this implicit bias training. We did this implicit bias training. And all of our officers, we had 100% buy-in to it. And, hey, man, we're headed toward reform on our on our implicit bias training. But you turn around and a month later, You've got this officer who is having this conversation with another officer who just accidentally starts recording the conversation and just reminds you if this if there wasn't any body cameras, can you imagine the conversations that are being had without the body cameras? So as police chief, as leaders, Keith, we don't really know how what kind of impact this training is really having within our departments or within other departments because how is it really measured? What what is what what right. kind of follow up is being done to say, hey, let's go back and revisit uh this training because again, this dude a month ago went through the training, but a month later he's having a racial rant about he's sick and tired of dealing but with Virgil. black people. But Virgil, that's not the first time he's done that, I'm sure. There, oh, there no, were some man. signs there. No. So, 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 so the training, if, if that's not the first time he's done it and it's been ignored, the training is not going to do anything. So let me just, let me just say this. You know, when reform, you know, when reform starts, reform starts in the hiring process. Reform continues in the academy process. Reform continues in the field training process and the probationary process. Reform Reform continues in the early intervention program. Reform then continues during the evaluation, annual performance evaluation program. Reform doesn't start just because someone comes up with a class 
and the and the and just to check the box, the chief says we're going to do this. That's why it's important to have quality training by quality. And the, the unfortunate thing is that because some departments can afford it, some departments can't afford the quality. And so what happens is you go out and you get. It's like it's like you need a car, and you just you know you 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 can't afford you can't afford the car you want, and so you go out and get this the other car thinking it's going to perform on the way that the car that you really wanted. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm making sense, and so you go out and you and you and you go through you, you go and you get what you can afford. That means it's quality. So so so. Yeah, reform is through the entire is the whole process. Reform never stops. There shouldn't have to yeah. be a call for reform. Reform should be from day one that you put that announcement up. That should be reform. Reform should always continue. Reform should be your strategic plan. Reform should be in your curriculum when you annually when you when you look at your training curriculum. So reform should be that reform should be talked about in, in staff meetings and stuff and things like that. So it's not just this reform shouldn't just be because this is this is this is what happened after a man was tragically killed at the hands of police officers and a young lady was tragically killed. Reform should be a talk should be a conversation that we should have been having since the history of law enforcement. Exactly. The history of exactly. law enforcement. And you've got three yeah. You've got three studies that have focused on reform, and we and and, and finally, thank goodness for the Obama twenty um, first um, century policing. 21st. People mm-hmm. are finally listening. Yeah, but reform yeah. has been something we've talked about for years, related to yeah. law enforcement. Yeah, well, hey Keith, we we have a, a another question from from Gary, uh, one of our listeners uh, in in California. Yeah, guys, um, it's this is really um, important because you know it's when you look at how politicians talk about how they want to help certain groups and they always talk about the middle class and they forget about the poor. Well, Gary is a black disabled Native American, so he has three of those areas that people don't really talk about. A and then B, um, he's he's being definitely his 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 groups are definitely affected so um he he made some questions you uh, got a phone here got he made some questions and comments i want to read it to you guys can respond he said what training do officers have with disabled folk he said there's a difference between mentally disabled or physically disabled there's a big difference he said because menti- many mentally disabled have been getting shot for not following directions, they maybe don't understand the words. Officers might have to go slower and speak clearly. So, I mean, Native American, that, that could be a whole nother discussion. But the disabled, you know, are always seems to be left out. And to me, it seems just like we've seen stories about uh, people that were um, mentally ill that, you know, they they might – 
not have their meds or they're bipolar, whatever the, crazy, the, the, the case may be, but those physically disabled, they can't get the words out. And you might think the officer may not have that kind of training. And as Gary said, if Gary's on the line, um, something fatally happens. So you, you, your thoughts, guys. Well, you know, I'll say this, uh, uh, L.A. and to Gary, that, you know, this, this falls in line with the conversation we're having about uh, implicit bias and, and biases towards certain groups. You know, there's people that have their biases toward people with, uh, with mental health illness. There's, they have biases toward people who are, who are you know, handicapped, uh, and, and they take those they take that frustration out on those individuals. And we've had this conversation on, on, on our, we've on our show before where we've talked about police officers, not fully understanding people with disabilities and not taking enough time to listen to them. And I'm going to share with you guys a really quick story because it just came, it, it comes back to, to mind what happened here in Oklahoma city with an Oklahoma highway uh, patrol trooper. They were check. There, there was an older black gentleman, late sixties, maybe early seventies. He was he could not hear. Uh, they chased this guy across Oklahoma City. He stops. Uh, the troopers get him out the car. They beat this man to where his eyes were closed. He just did not understand what he was saying. He wasn't driving impaired, but he just did not understand what was going on around him. I mean, when I say they literally beat this man, they beat this man to where he could not see. His face was swollen up. Charges were presented to the to a prosecutor in Oklahoma County. There were no charges filed against those state troopers. Yeah, there was a civil side of it that came out. But what really angered me was the fact that this man had a handicapped disability, and it was almost as if let's kind of find something else out about Mr. Jones, and that's not his name, but Mr. Jones was a handicapped black man. So, you know, we have a lot of – we have some things that we really need to work on within this profession of how we treat people and especially people who have those disabilities and those handicaps, just like I call them. Because you have some officers who are sympathetic, but key, man, you have a lot of officers who could, and I want to just say, they don't give a damn about you. All they want to know is the fact that I, you saw my lights, you didn't pull over. But, damn it, you didn't realize that the guy was deaf? Come on, man. Well, there, let me say this, Virgil. Yeah, and 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 we and we and we forget. And Gary, let me let me say this. Thank you for asking answering that question. Uh, we forget that we do have uh, members of our community that do have uh, uh, may have problems hearing, seeing, uh, may have problems talking, and that's why it's important to be have a real good relationship uh, with. Uh, various nonprofit groups and, and, and various advocates in the community uh, that have uh, 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 ties with uh, each and every one of the groups that I mentioned. That's why it's important to have the community as part of your training curriculum. 
That's why it's important to have oversight committees because it's important for during the, during the training academy and also during in-service, you have to bring individuals uh, that, that, like Gary just mentioned, such as Gary, into your into homeless, individuals who are homeless, individuals who suffer from mental illness, individuals who may be recovering drug addicts, someone who may have hearing, uh, maybe hearing impaired, someone who may have autism. You have to bring these individuals. These are human beings also, okay? Their, their condition doesn't define who they are. Their condition doesn't make them less of a human being. So you bring those individuals to the training center, to in-service, have regular conversations, and see how they can. Policy should be directed toward uh, 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 be able to uh, relate to people who may have some form of disability. We don't do a good job of that. We, we wait until something happens, and so you have to be innovative. We should be, you know, talking to Gary. You know, hey, man, what do we need in our policy? Tell, tell me what you need. Tell me what, how we can relate better to someone who may be in a wheelchair, who may have a hearing, who may be hearing uh, uh, visually and hearing, hearing impaired, uh, who may have autism. We don't do a good job of that. And, and unfortunately, unfortunately, sometimes it's too late. And so we have to include those individuals in our, in our planning process, in our organization, part of our Citizens Police Academy. We have to do that. Uh, no, yeah, no, guys, there's, there's no what, other, you know, we have to do that. Yeah, Real go ahead, quick, because um, you had mentioned Gary, you get a chance. He, he wants to kind of follow up quickly on what he's saying. But uh, the other part of it is, guys, real quick, and i uh, sorry to interrupt, is that I had an issue in a city. Uh, uh, chief Humphrey, you know this particular chief. I, I, I was stopped. I thought it was racially motivated. I have a power of a microphone. They went out of their way, invited me and the kids to the, the, the precinct, I mean, the, the, the agency, and went out of their way and did spent the whole day. But it shouldn't come down to that. Just because I have a power of the microphone, you're going to do that? Are you going to do that with everybody that has an issue, that has a question? And that, that's a part of it, too, um, that needs to be addressed. But uh, Gary uh, in California, go ahead, sir. We're running the out of reason, time, but go ahead, Gary. Okay, the reason why I asked that question is I was a witness to a crime, and the reporting officer totally ignored me. He ignored me because he didn't understand what I was saying. That really, you can't do that. You can't do that. Yeah, yeah, you're actually right. And, and, and you know, and unfortunately, and I made that comment earlier, Gary, that officers oftentimes, they just want to shut people down that they cannot relate to. And that if you have any kind of speech impediment or if you're, whatever the case may be, that that, that handicap or disability, they just don't want to communicate with you. And that just goes to, to the officer's. Uh, you know, empathy to really want to help you as a citizen. So, uh, well, Virgil, you know, Gary, it's, not, it's not that. Well, it's, the, it's, the, it's that sometimes they're not, you know, a person, uh, if an officer interviews someone that, that in Gary's uh, condition, they're not, they're not, they're not the norm. See, we, in, in law enforcement, we have right, this yeah, perception right. of what, yeah. what, what the norm looks like. 
Not realizing mm-hmm. you're human, that is the norm. Being human yeah. is the norm. Uh, we, yeah. we have a history, you know, our, our job, we, we, we've got this norm. This is what the norm is. The norm is this. Anything outside this box is, un, is not normal and I don't have to deal with. Uh, yeah. Our profession does that. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, Keith, uh, you know, we, we've we been allowed to run over our time a little bit, but, you know, again, this has been a, a great topic that we've had amongst ourselves and with our listeners, and we definitely want to thank you, our listeners, for, for tuning in to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And, and, uh, and Keith, you know, we're going to have to sign off, but, man, uh, you know, we're going to be back uh, next Tuesday for uh, another great topic, and hopefully everybody will tune in. But definitely tune in to the rebroadcast show of You and the Law on the bachelornews.airtime.pro at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. And we will see you all next week on the You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. God bless. Situations out the door So grab somebody and get your ass on the desk